Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's program with Coach Menachem Berenfeld. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Sunday night. Shtickle Rainy over here, but uh, thanks for coming. Again, tonight is Sheer 149. Thank you for coming. And uh, first start of every week, thanking all the listeners that promote it. They put it on their WhatsApp statuses and they email it around to friends and family, let people know. Like I say, every week, try to join. It's not negate to you for any reason. Let people still know about it. You never know what's negate to who. And join us again. It's a program to really speak through in Yanim, see if really get some clarity on a lot of uh, pressing issues. And thank you for joining. And again, if anybody wants to get the WhatsApp every Sunday, you can WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Or you can go to menachembernfeld.com and sign up for the emails. Every, every week he emails the speakers, the replays, and any big uh, Coach Menachem Hak he sends around. So please sign up to there as well. Well, the people that are watching the replay of this on YouTube, you can click on the like button, click on the, on the subscribe buttons every Monday morning, middle of the night when Menachem works tirelessly after the shear. And, um, tries to uh, upload it, you get notified, you get to see all the shiurim, so please join us. First, also thank all the advertising sponsors that promote us on all the platforms. The first, Shkoyach, to the Lakewood Scoop over here is for promoting us at Lakewood, and also to Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central, and Chayla Kaufman from JCN for promoting us on all the digital platforms. We really appreciate it. Coach Menachem shows collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health, supporting the Jewish community, the okclarity.com, You'll find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, and engage in forums and stay inspired. Benachem will email after the share all the links for all the OK Clarity information. And again, if you want to join their statuses, you can WhatsApp them at 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. And again, if anybody's here the first time, first of all, number one, where have you been? I know it's almost four years, but every Sunday night we do the share at 9.30. We have tremendous speakers and Hashem next week. We have a special one for you. Special, special. Next week, not the Rabbi Sunshine is not special. It's a whole different, a whole different special. Every week, by the way, Sunshine, every week is special. I'm just letting you know. But next week happens to be extra special. Next week, we're going to have again, and God is the only woman that ever comes onto our program, Grada, Dr. Akiva and his wife, Dr. Tamar Perlman. And the conversation is going to be their specialty about vulnerability, the title yet, living and loving vulnerably. How a deep discussion on how to be authentic with yourself and others. And uh, anybody who knows the programs, they're amazing people. And uh, a few times they came on, it was really unbelievable. So please join us. Stigate to everybody. So join, let people know about it. And hopefully, Mashem will see everybody next week. Same time, same place. Tonight is Shear 149. And the president, CEO, and the financial advisor, CFO of the program. What's our deficit now? Where we're holding? Negative what? Is going to give. Yeah, the- this is Shear number 149. Baruch Hashem. We're going to be discussing the art of trust, communicating with teens as emerging adults. So I think it's quite apropos that 149 is Bigimatria Malaya Chachma, which means full of wisdom. And I believe hands down, when it comes to this art of communicating with teens, everybody would agree, you need tremendous Chachma, wisdom, how to connect with them, how to relate with them, how to discipline, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And we're all waiting with open eyes and ears to hear the pearls of wisdom Rabbi, from Rabbi Sonnenschein 
to guide us in this art. Beautiful gematria. Okay, so we're going to first start, turn it over to Coach Menachem. Coach Menachem, we're all here. We want to know what tonight's program is about. What are we trying to cover? What is, what's tonight's program about? Because I'm, I'm very tired. I want to go to sleep. Try to keep me interested in the treat. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome, everyone, to another Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem, number 149, with a lot of Seattle Deshmaya. We have the first to have Rabbi Sunshine tonight discussing not an easy topic. We had some time to prepare a little bit, and um, it's it's not something that we can tackle in an hour and a half. But to discuss it, to put it on the table is is our goal, as always, to bring it out, put it on the table, even though sometimes it is hard. So Mitch, and that's what we're going to do tonight. The topic to trust. Now, I'm not going to take it all the way deep if we trust ourselves and uh, to see what's our form of communication even before we go to our teenagers. But just the idea of trust is, is something that's a deep core, whether it's self-awareness and to see what, what, what our triggers are with our kids. But even trusting your, your child, trusting, we'll have to figure out what ages we're talking about. And uh, I, I would ask you if you would trust your four-year-old would you let them choose their bedtime or what they want to eat for supper or if they want to eat or not? Is it something that we should let them make the choices? So the question is, we're looking to empower our children, to give them that place where they can make choices. So we have to find that window. And in the Chinuch, there is an idea that they say, even for younger kids, you want your child to come in from playing outside, not to call Chaim, come inside, time to come in. You tell Chaim in, in 50 minutes you have to come in so that they know. Or before they go out, you ask them, what time does it work for you to come back home? Does 6 or 6.15, which one do you want? So basically it's still in, your, in the mm -hmm. window that works for you, but you're giving them the power to make the choice. So they feel good. So you see, mommy gave me the choice, you know, and obviously he's going to choose 615. So he feels great about himself and you're good. You're also good at, you know, it's beautiful. The problem is when he comes home 630. So that's when we need to have a discussion because you trusted him. You gave him that okay to make the choice, but then he didn't follow up. So that's where discussion comes up. And that's for younger kids. Talk about older kids. It doesn't get easier. Many, many kids keep it inside of themselves. They won't even express it. They walk around feeling that my parents don't understand me. My parents don't understand the generation. We don't connect. There's so many things I want to do and I can't do. And then there are those who actually, they, they do it already. The parents maybe tried to discipline and hold them tight and tie them down, but they didn't listen. And they, it maybe it started with a fight, but they're on their own. So it's not an easy topic. And for those who are struggling in this parsha, it might be hard to sit here and listen. You know, everybody has their own things. But to be able to take whatever it is, something, again, it's not easy. Also, it's important to realize how we grew up and 
to see what we give over to our kids based on what we grew up with, what schools they, they, they're in, you know, you might not be happy with the friends they have, with the gadgets that the friends have, and you're trying to keep it from them. But at the end of the day, look around, look where they are, look at the world they live in, look at the society, the place where you live, the school they go to. And with that, what we're trying to learn is how to communicate, to be able to connect, to have a discussion with the child so that the child doesn't feel that there's a big gap of understanding them. And again, to have that balance, because every child wants to have, they want to have boundaries, even though they might not say it. They say, Tati, please help me, you know, hold me tight, because if you let me go, I'll fly like a bird, who knows where. So they do want some boundaries, but on the other hand, they want to feel that, you know, especially when they're becoming adults, they're becoming older, they, they feel, they believe, they understand. And even though you're a few years older, to be able to sit there and discuss it with them. So Mitchell, we should have a lot of Siyata Deshmaya because we need it. <laughs> everybody, everybody should be able to take whatever it is to help them to move forwards in the situation. And Hashem should help us all. Shkoyach for being here with us and Mitchell to work out. Beautiful opening. Okay, so let's just review quickly. Tonight's topic, again, is the art of trust, communicating with teens as emerging adults, understanding our roles and responsibility as, as children transition from teenagehood to adulthood. And this is a very broad topic. There's a lot of things to get into it. Before we get into it, again, tonight's share is sponsored. This week's share is sponsored in honor of Yosef Sonnenschein by, by the Wednesday night woman share. Every week, we've lost 100 participants in both in person and on Zoom. Tune into Rabbi Sonnenschein's gives over divrei chizik and insights into the uh, into parshas and the, and the Yom Toivim, Hagim. And the unique quality of Rabbi Sonnenschein Shirim that is always practically and timely. The Rav always leaves us with a simple way to implement what we have learned. His guidance and expertise in the areas of Aloha, Shkafa, and Chinuch Habonim make Rabbi Sonnenschein the world-renowned Gavar Rabbi that he has become. We are so fortunate to be the beneficiaries of his, of his Hadracha. He has truly transformed our homes and our families into Dinye Adeyad, beautiful homes with much appreciation and, my, and, and my, ad, admiration. We express our heartfelt accords of life to Rabbi Sonnenshine. And I'm going to get the information of any lady who's listening who wants to join the Wednesday night program, how they could uh, join Rabbi Sonnenshine's program. And the Menachem will send it out in the email later. And I'm going to read Rabbi Sonnenshine's bio, and then I'm going to give him the floor. Rabbi Yosef Sonnenshine moved to Waterbury 23 years ago. He spent many of his teaching, many of his years teaching in base Medrash in high school and also served as a Rav Kal B'nai Shalom of Waterbury for almost 20 years. Four years ago, he began teaching in the Landers based medish and recently adapted, uh, accepted the position of the Manal there. Rabbi Sonnenschein has utilized opportunities provided by his various positions to uplift, coach, guide, and mentor young adults and families. He collaborates with Rabbanim and Rosh Hashivas, as well as mental health professionals to improve the lives of his fellow brothers and sisters, B'nai Yisrael. Rabbi Sonnenschein, come on tonight, giving us our time, and the floor is yours. Thank you so much. I already feel such a chizuk from being here. It's just so, so incredible to know that there's this group that's so machshiv, chenuch, shalom bayis, all the things that you work on. I'm embarrassed that when you said, where were you till now? I'm one of those people. Where was I? So Bezer Hashem, we'll have to, we'll have to correct that, Bezer Hashem. Um, so thank you very much. And thank you for your, for your kind words. And I also, I, I, I can't speak about Chinuch without thanking the families in my shul who have opened their hearts to me and the, 
the the Talmidim that I've had and the different different yeshivas who we've worked together. These are not sugyas that as as Menachem said, these are not sugyas that you could just uh, sit in a room yourself and work through. And I very, very much appreciate everyone who's worked together with me. And a special shout out and a special to the Wednesday night share. It's an absolute, absolute schus to, to, to be able to participate in growing together with this incredible group of women that's focused on, on growth and aliyah. And I'm not surprised that so many of the people in the shir were very familiar with what goes on here on Sunday nights. Also, before I start talking about trust, it would be appropriate to mention my own children. It's interesting, tonight I said to, my, uh, to, to one of my teenage sons, I said to him, what do you think of our topic tonight? And he said, I like it. I said, why do you like it? He said, I like it because we worked on that together. And it was, that was very meaningful to me. And I, tremendous, and I know my children, that I'm going to be saying stories about them. They're used to it. And Amir uh, Sashem. And Bechlal, you know, being a parent, is so complex. Sometimes parents worry of, of the, if they're worthy of the job. Like, can, can we do this? It's so complicated. 2023 is not an easy time to be raising children. And it's important to realize that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us to get married and to raise a family, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us, I trust you with the neshamas that I give you. And we have to know that we're we're, we're being given the job by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we have to keep being davening to him for Siyata Deshmaya. But we shouldn't think, I'm not ready to be a parent. If you're a parent in Klal Yisrael, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you that job. You're hired by Hashem himself. And Be'ezer Hashem, hopefully the conversation tonight will help all of us to be able to, to grow in this area. I noticed an interesting thing that many, many times when we talk about Chinuch, people use a term to mold children. And you could, if you do a search, a secular, in the secular world, in the chinuch world, this concept of molding children, and I don't want to waste our time on the semantics of what molding children means, but I'll tell you what I don't think it means, and what I worry that sometimes people think it means. I think of molding that you gave me a glob of clay, and it's featureless, and it's just a glob, and I have to mold it into what I think this clay should look like. And that is not chinuch. Chinuch is HaKadosh Baruch who gives us a child that's so full of personality and has talents and has netiyas and has feelings. And it's our job to work with, like to, to work with the grain of the, of the clay, to work with where it's going and to build it. So I, I think that's very, very important to realize it's not a one-sided thing, Chinuch. It's not me building my child. But there's a back and forth, there's a give and take where I'm working with the kaifas that he has. I'm working with what he's giving me, with what he's bringing out, with his netiyas, with his feelings. And that really does bring us to the, to the topic of trusting. I like to ask parents what they think the three most important words to say to your children are, and most parents say the three most important words are, I love you. And it's hard to argue with that. Those are three very, very, very important words. But I want to argue that at least equally important are the words, I trust you. 
giving over to my child that I trust them. And I want to explain what I mean here because, you know, like uh, Rabbi Menachem, when we were talking before, we were talking about, you know, do I trust them with technology? Do I trust them with staying up late? You know, things like that. There's a step before that. There's a step of just trusting their feelings about things. Like, for example, um, for example, you know, the halacha says that instead of giving someone a donation when they need tzedakah, we should teach them how to, how, to, how to get a job. So just telling my child what to do, that's a very low level. Working with my child for him to develop what to do or for her to develop what to do, ah, that's, that's chinuch. And I think it comes up in a lot of different things that have nothing to do with, um, with these hot ticket items like technology, even before that. Mommy, what should I wear? I trust you to pick the right thing, the appropriate thing. I was invited to a friend and it's raining. Do you think I should go? Shefala, that's a hard decision. I trust you. I know you're going to make the right decision. Let me know what you decided. I was invited to a chasana. I'm very tired. I have a test to study for. Should I go to the chasana? That's a tough dilemma. You're going to have to think that over and let me know. And that type of thing of bouncing it back at our children in a supportive way. I, I know this firsthand because my children sometimes say, Tati, I want to ask you what we should do. Please don't say you trust me. You know, because they, they, they want to hear advice. But it's important that we show them that we're, we're makir. We're, 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 we're makir their perspective on things. Whether they go to the chasana or not is not half as important as the fact that they heard the words, I trust you and that I valued their decision. And when it comes to hashkafa and moral dilemmas and things like that, and, you know, and, and growth and avaydis Hashem, the trust could mamish save children. The, the, um, I wanna just tell you over, I think I, I told you this before, but I wanna just say over this little misa before we, before we move on to the questions, I was sitting in my, in my, in my bedroom one Friday night and this really says it all. I was sitting and I was going to sleep that night. And my two teenage daughters, who are both Baruch Hashem mommies today, but, but at the time they were two teenage daughters and they were sitting in my dining room with a bunch of friends and they were schmoozing Friday night after the meal. And as teenage girls schmooze, it was getting louder and louder. And as I, got, as I was going into bed, I was able to hear like I was with them in the room. And they were talking about their father's different hakpadas about their tzniyas. And this one was saying, my father's makbid about this. My father's not makbid about that. And then my daughter says, my father is the worst. And here I started to get a little concerned. And my daughter says that when I ask my father if he thinks something is tzniyastic, he tells me, I trust you. How are you supposed to wear something not tzniyastic if your father said he trusts you? And that to me is, the, is, is a very, very important story because it shows what we want from the trust, that when we give trust to our children in the right way, at the right stage, and again, everything, every situation is different, that we're, bring, we're empowering them to step up to the plate. We're empowering them to, to, to take things to the next level. And I, I want to just mention you know, the, 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 one of the great places to trust children and to acknowledge the opinion of children is by the Shabbos table. 
we should not underestimate the unbelievable power of a Shabbos table, the ability to sit around a table with our children and to just let the conversation flow. In our family, the Shabbos table could get very feisty sometimes. The debates could go for hours sometimes, and it could get very, very respectfully, but it gets very fiery. And people have no hesitation in my family to disagree with each other. And I love that. I love that they feel comfortable just saying what they think. And I think if we can do that, if we could raise children that feel like their opinion is chashiv to their parents, and when they say something, and they say a thought, they say an opinion, that's chashiv, even to quote it. I love talking to a friend, and I know one of my kids are listening, and I say, you know, uh, you know, Shlomo holds like this. Yehudis holds like that. I love that my kids should hear me quoting their shitas, whether I agree or not but I heard their opinion and their opinion has value to me. Whether I agree or not, their opinion has value. So I think this is a good, um, a good hakdama. And maybe, maybe we could take some questions from here. Okay, Maridik, beautiful opening of Rebbe Sonnenschein. We have a lot of questions, people are texting. So again, we have this chus of Rebbe Sonnenschein here. It's a big topic. You could text me, Ashraparnas on the chat. The questions, live questions go first. We're going to do a poll first and let everybody answer, and then we'll get into it, okay? Let's get it going here. Okay. Menachem, you see it? Okay. Three-question poll. Here we go. First question. If your high school-aged child tells you, you don't trust me, what should what would be your response? Not what should be your response. What would be your response? Number one, I don't have to trust you. I'm, I'm the parent. Number two, how could I trust you? You haven't earned my trust. Number three, help me to trust you. Or number four, of course, I always trust you. What's the question? So those are the four options on the first question. Second question. When your son announces at the Shabbos table that the rough statement today was completely wrong, how would you react? Four options. Shoo, no, we don't talk that way. It's not the way we talk. Number two, who do you think you are to argue with the Rav? Number three, I think he's wrong too, comma, agreeing with the child that uh, the Rav is not wrong. Or number four, without the negativity, let's discuss what he said. Third question, what type of environment best describes your upbringing? How did, where did you come from? Either permissive, you were able to make your own choices when you grew up, or authoritative, where, where you were required to follow strict guidelines without much autonomy or number four balanced we were we were where a healthy combination of freedom and structure was present so those are the three poll questions answer them to the best of your abilities we'll review with Rabbi Sunshine when it's done and then we'll get into the questions Okay, five more seconds. Okay, we're gonna share the results with everybody now. Okay, first question, Rabbi Sanatran. Let me know if you have any opinion on it. If your high school age child tells you, you don't trust me, what would be your response? 4% of people say, I don't have to trust you, I'm the parent. 5% say, how could I trust you? You haven't earned my trust. 
62% of people, I don't know if they misunderstood what it said, um, help me trust, help me to trust you, 62% of people, and 28% of people say, of course, I trust you always. So I'm trying to comment on that. Um, I, 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 I'm biased towards also to the 62% of help me to trust you. But I, I think that each, any person that answered any of these questions, you know, you have to know their, their story and what's, what's going on in their house. So it's hard to say X to this and check to that. That's, that's not, uh, okay. but, but I, I love help me to trust you. Okay. Second question. <clears throat> when your son announced at the Shabbos table that the rough statement today is completely wrong, how would you react? 7% of people would say, Noosh, we don't talk that way. 3% of people say, why do you think you could argue with the Rav? 1% of people say, I think he's wrong too and agree with the child. And everybody seems to answer this answer. Without the negativity, let's discuss what he said. So, Noosh, did everybody get it right? It's definitely great. I'm just thinking as I'm reading this, without the negativity, let's discuss what he said. If we're talking with Derek Covet about the Rav, I can say that I disagreed with him too, but I'm saying it, let's talk about it and let's, without the negativity, I don't think my children have to think that I'm a, that I'm a robot and I always agree with the Rav, but of course, without the negativity, let's discuss what he said. Okay, and the third question is in general to see the people that we're dealing with tonight. So what type of environment best describes your upbringing? 18% of the people say they come from very permissive, you know, you're able to make your own choices. 48% of the people say very authoritative, authoritative that you know they're required to follow strict guidelines without much autonomy. And 34% of the people are balanced where they had a healthy combination of freedom and structure were present. Amazing. You know, the, the, the fact that so many people were brought up authoritative, a lot of that is a generational thing. But, but you know, like when we're in a generation where we're telling parents to try to say yes more often, even if it means, can I have another lollipop? But to try to say yes more often, it's important to realize what we're up against. You know, I, I have a family that I'm working with that the, the, the father, Pasha, needs Sizuk to learn how to say yes. His natural reaction is no. And he's working on it. He's an unbelievable person. But he needs Sizuk to say yes. It's not, what's, it's not in his DNA. Okay, let's get into some of the questions, okay? Okay, first question. When my 14-year-old son brings up topics that go against our hashkafa by the Shabbos table in public, such as his disbelief in the world in Oilam Haba, or I often, I often find myself lacking the proper answers to his questions, I usually resort to telling him that we can't discuss these topics. What would be the appropriate approach to address such topics, especially when it's done on a Shabbos table or in front of other kids? How do we deal with that when a child starts really bringing up very delicate, sensitive questions that are against our hashkafa or our belief or dangerous all right so we're, i'm sure that we're going to pull this apart you know there's different parts to this but the first and foremost is that our kids can't be afraid to share their fears with us and if a child of ours feels like there's no ilam haba let's say like you said he doesn't he doesn't believe in the world to come it's terrifying to him he's now he's and the fact that he could feel comfortable i say that whoever asked that question Good for you that your son felt comfortable saying that by the Shabbos table. And what to do depends who's by the Shabbos table, how to handle it. Okay, a person has to know their family. But of course, we have to be mach of his opinion. That's his opinion. It doesn't mean that we agree with it. And we, could, and we should say if we don't agree, if it's clearly against the Torah. 
we should say we don't agree, or the Torah says otherwise, but I hear that that's what you are, I hear you. I hear that that's what you are saying. And I'm not punishing you for having a thought and certainly not for having a feeling. Many people struggle because it's not, the, the answer is not clear. So um, they might have to listen to the shir, they might have to educate themselves to know how to discuss Elam Haba when uh, whatever this child is asking. Yeah, you know, it, it's important to know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need a lawyer. Like it doesn't, it's not a parent's job to be Hashem's lawyer. I think sometimes we feel like this burden that we have to answer up for Hashem. The tmimos of our emuna is very powerful for our kids to see. And if my child says, I'm not sure I believe in Elam Haba because it doesn't say Elam Haba anywhere in the Torah, which by the way, it doesn't. So if, if you know if if he says that, so my response could be like, that is an amazing amazing question. I'm going to look into that question. The fact that I don't know the answer is not is there's no negativity there at all. I'm not mechayiv. Hashem doesn't need someone to carry the aron for him. Mm-hmm. Okay, Gavaldik. Let's go to a live question. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Amir, please. I'm sorry. I just muted him again. I'm sorry. I'll mute again. Sorry. Okay. Hi. Hi. Uh, so I have a question. Uh, I, I, I don't disagree that we have to say I love you to our children all the time. I don't disagree with that. I'm just concerned that sometimes what I read in magazines, in books, etc., aren't we putting the children in a pedestal? And you know, making them too grand and too important. Um, so uh, my question is, what's wrong with with the, telling the children, you know, uh, we know better. We we know what's good for you. It's a very good question. The the truth is that you know, the, the, I, I I'm hearing this as two parts. This question. The first thing is, in general, if we're putting children on a pedestal too much. It's important to realize that it is a little bit of a cultural thing, but but in general, our children, and you can ask anyone that's working with children, our children aren't growing up as Bali Gaiva. That's not how they're growing up. Our children are growing up. They need more boosting. They need more chizuk. They need more encouragement. That's how they're growing up. So at this point in time, at this point in history, our children need to be put on a pedestal because maybe they'll wind up on even ground if we put them on a pedestal and we and we give them honor and we and we and we and we pour our love on them so in terms of that a little bit for for our generation we do need that we our kids need that pedestal but the second thing that you said that that I know better of course that's that that's a that's a a, a foundation of parenting and if a child's doing something and I think that uh, that 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 it's dangerous for him or for her or it's not the right thing or it's a mistake for me to have a conversation where I know where I'm saying I I I'm you know this is my experience that's very valuable but my question to you is did we listen to what the child said did we hear his opinion he he wow. feels differently so that's if he feels heard so that's a very very important a very, very important thing. In fact, even to tell him what he said, 
oh, you think that you should be allowed to go out at night because your friends are doing it and it's important to make friends and so on and so forth. I understand what you're saying. My experiences and so on, I'm not trying to take away the job of a parent, but the point is that the children should feel heard and respected. The only thing is that if you say to a child, I know better, I know this is good for you, and it's a, he's going to say to you, but you trust me, you trust my judgment, you trust my, my, my opinion and my actions. It's, 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 not a, it's not an easy thing to, to, um, to say a psak on, you know, to give a, to give a, like a, 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 a you know, a, 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 a one, two, three answer to, because it, it really involves a conversation with the child. In other words, yes, we, we, we do have a certain amount of trust in the sense that we are listening to him and we're understanding him and we're thinking about what he says. Maybe he's right. Maybe, maybe she's right. Maybe she knows herself better and we should think about that. But ultimately the parent has to be the parent and do what's safe and good for a child. So yeah, I, I understand the struggle that you're mentioning, but, but uh, trust is not something that we, that therefore we always say, therefore you're right and we're gonna listen to you. If that's true, then we're resigning. That's not what trust means. Trust means that there is a that I that I'm I hear you and I'm thinking about what you're saying and on a certain level with certain things I'm going to go with your approach. Especially as my children get older, I'm going to go with your approach. But but ultimately, I'm the authority. That's right. That's right. Okay. But again, you have to be. This is you know like like Reb Menachem said earlier. You, 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 you know, if you're talking about a 17-year-old or you're talking about a seven-year-old, it's a very, very different thing. I'm definitely weighing more on ultimately I'm the authority to a seven-year-old and very little of that and much more I'm going to trust you on the 17-year-old. With my children, as they reach 17, 18 years old, there's very, very little that I'm insistent on. I try to count on the relationship that we have and and um, and I'm not I'm not pushing and you know if they say trust me if my 17 or 18 year old says trust me this is the right thing for me I'm gonna try very very hard to do that unless it's absolutely clear that that's not the right thing if my seven year old says it that's a that's a different thing and of course every age in between is different. Okay, okay, thank you. Sure. Let's go to the next question. You're on. Hi there. I have a question. Um, what if our children act in a really untrustworthy manner? Like I had a 13-year-old son go behind my back and buy himself a cell phone. And, uh, you know, then we made, you know, I talked about it. I talked about limits on it. You know, I'm going to agree, but these are the limits. And then I find out that he's, you know, been on inappropriate websites with it and you know, it, it just in general, a lot of just untrustworthy behavior. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to bridge that. <laughs> I want to trust them. But yeah, how did how did you find out about it? I had an older son who told me about it. He said, you know, he's going to the bathroom, you know, just look at his pockets when you come out. And when he came out, I saw the bulge. So I went over and felt it. And I said, what's this? And I said, you know, how did this get here? And, you know, he said, oh, I went to the store and I bought it. Um, I thought you were going to say no. 
you know, whenever we bring up phone, you know, getting a phone, you always say no. So, you know, I did it behind your back. So I said, you know, I'm going to hang on to this and I'm going to think about it. And, you know, I did think about it and I made specific boundaries. You know, it was going to stay in mommy's room at night. We're going to have a specific time limit on it. Um, and he was sneaking it out of my room and then he was, you know, he was taking it and, and looking at inappropriate sites. And I found that and then I said, look, you know, we've discussed it. You went over those boundary limits. I see that you're not trustworthy with the phone. I'm going to have to just keep it until you're a little older and you can, you can figure a way to, you know, that I can trust you again. It's very, very difficult with, uh, with our kids going behind our backs with technology. My experience is that the children themselves are so in pain that they did that. That it's a it's that itself is a good starting point for a conversation, you know the the um this is a confusing thing when you have a boy that's curious and he's he's getting himself a smartphone because and and he's actually going to places he shouldn't go to on it. There may be a level of pull and 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 you know and curiosity here that's overwhelming to him. And if we could have that conversation with him, if I could sit with my thirteen year old and say. You know, you know, like you said, like why, why didn't you tell me? Well, I thought you would say no. And so, so why, why would you do it if you thought I would say no? Well, I really, really, really wanted it. And to try to reach a point where you're communicating about what's really, what's really the issue here, which is that he wants to make his parents happy. He wants to listen to what his mother says. But at the same time, he's feeling such a strong pull in another direction. I think that's the starting point to, to, to feeling trust. And a, a space needs to be made in that relationship where perhaps where he can, where, where the two of you can agree to a certain level where perhaps a, a, either, either a certain level that he is committing himself to the trust, you know, that the, in this area we are going to be trustworthy. Or that even if he doesn't listen to you, and even if he's doing, you know, something that you don't approve of, he's still going to tell you about it. You know, and I know that that's a very, very complicated thing. But to be in a situation where my 13-year-old, who in your case, not every 13-year-old is doing this, is, is, is sophisticated enough for that. But he's sophisticated enough to walk into a drugstore and to buy a smartphone. Now you're holding on to his smartphone for him, but he could also have already bought another one. Right. We don't know right. that we, you know, we, we, we just don't know. So the first thing is to make a space of trust where you say to him, I see that this is a very, very powerful pull for you. And I think it's not the right thing for you. And I know it's unhealthy for you, but I not at the expense. I don't want you to hide it from me. If you're doing something and you and you and you and you're going against what, what I want you to do, it's more important to me to continue to have a relationship with you and that we could work together and talk about it than that you should start developing a secret life, chas v'shalem, where the parents have no idea what's going on by the children. So it's not an easy thing. I'm not saying this lightly, but if a child says, I can't control myself, I can't do it, I, I'm, I'm not going to listen. I still want to know about it and we'll work together and we'll try to, we'll try to grow the trust together. Okay, I don't, I don't trust that he would, you know, disclose to me, you know. I'm sorry, I don't hear. Going in a... Oh, I said I, I don't trust that he would disclose that if he bought another one. Like, 
I really, really don't. If you don't mind, myself. just one more time. I just shut off the air conditioner. Okay, sorry. I said, I really, really don't trust my child. Like, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying, and I think a relationship is important. But I don't think, like, even if we had a conversation about this one, it's not going to be done with something else. It's, I feel like it's a pervasive thing. It's not just the phone. It's like in many areas of his life. But what does just he want? The, 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 does he want to be trustworthy? I don't know. I don't even know if a relationship is important to him. I don't even know if trustworthiness is important to him. It, I don't think he even understands the value of that. So, you know, obviously it's a, I, I would have to meet him to be able to give you an opinion about that, but you know, I, okay. I, 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 I would err on the side of that he does want you to trust him and that he does want the relationship. And maybe he doesn't know how to express it. And maybe he doesn't even understand what a relationship means. Maybe right. he needs to be taught a little bit more about that. But he okay. certainly, certainly needs a relationship with his mommy. That's for sure. And he certainly, certainly, certainly wants to be trusted and wants to be an adult. And if there's something, even if it's so forget about this, but just having conversations where the two of you could share your authentic selves with each other, where you could be honest with him and he could be honest with you, where you create a safe place to have a conversation, you know, you're, you're, you're doing the world for him. And yeah, it's, he, you, you said he's 13? He's 14 now. So he got the phone when he was 13. So that, you know, it could be that he still has to mature into it. You know, not every 13-year-old, you know, is, 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 is mature enough to handle the type of relationship that we're talking about. But now is the time to try to build that and to make the space for that. And if you feel like he's just going to lie to you, then don't, don't go there. It's just not worth it. Don't okay. go there and don't turn yourself into his, his parole officer. It's not, it's right. not going to work. First of all, he's going to be better than you. He'll outsmart you. And second of all, it's not going to work when you, we, you need to be his friend when he's 18 years old so that you can give him advice. So let's, let, you know, try to hold on to that. Okay, thank you very much. But we're along, we're along the way while this kid develops to have that relationship. But sometimes um, parents don't have the correct relationship to begin with. So this is like a real wake-up call. And it's, it's a lot of work. And many times you have to reach out to different resources to help you to how do I talk? How do I trust my child? But here's an interesting question that a, a teenager sent in. And I think it's going to add to this question. As a teenager, I have noticed that I don't communicate much with my parents or anyone else at home anymore. I tend to do what I believe is right for myself in my room or outside the house because my parents consistently express negativity towards everything and disapprove of even the smallest decisions I make. I am unhappy with the situation. What can I do or say or tell my parents or help them to understand me better? It's a painful question, Rabbi Nachum. I'm, I'm feeling the pain of that, of that teenager who desperately, desperately needs to feel like his children, his, his parents are his fan club and they, and they hold of him and he doesn't seem to feel that way. Now, I don't know the parents that he's talking about. So, you know, I, I've learned over the years that, you know, the parents could be the most, the most incredible people. We don't know the, the details of the Nisayan that developed. 
But my first reaction to that teenager is, ouch, I, I feel the tsar of that. How, you know, that's, that's so, so painful. And I, I feel bad a little bit even giving advice because I, you know, I, as a parent, I want, I want the parents to step in and do the work. But the teenager is stepping up and saying, saying, what should I do? So two thoughts that come to mind. One is that this teenager should try to have conversations that are not that much on the extremes when things are good. In other words, to try to, you know, like, like we talked about the Shabbos table, to engage with his parents. It could be his parents don't know him. Do you ever find that sometimes parents don't notice that their kids grew up? They don't notice that their kids have experiences, you know, and, and it's important to do that. And also I would advise this teenager to be careful how he or she talks, because there are certain ways that teenagers sometimes push their parents' buttons by saying certain things. And it may be a good idea for him to think about how he could express himself in a way that's not threatening to the parent. Like, I understand that you think so on and so forth, and I respect that. But I have a perspective also. Can I share that with you? You know, if the parent says, no, don't share that with me. So then, you know, that's a very, very tough situation. But I think most parents, certainly anyone on this chat, on this, uh, on this show, would say, of course, like once it's, it's, it's presented that way, of course, I want to hear what your, what your perspective is. He should, he should reach out to somebody to help him how to talk to his parents. Wow, Rabbi, uh, yeah. Let me ask you if his parents happen to sit here, um, what can we tell such parents to help them a little bit understand their child that's uh, living in a place of like um, he can't get out, he, there's no one to talk to? How could we, what can we say to the parents? I think sometimes the, the, the struggles that we have with our children's chinuch become so painful for us that we stop seeing how unbelievable our children are. And I would encourage these parents to take a step back and to see what a sweet kid they have and to, to notice what, what his or her milas are. And to, to, I would, if I was sitting with those parents, I would say, what is your son good at? And, you know, and another offshoot of that is that it's important for parents to step into their children's world. You know, my, my son is great at playing guitar, let's say, but I don't like guitar, so that's meaningless to me. No, but that's your son's world. So this, it's important to step into it. You know, I'll tell you something interesting. A couple of years ago, one of my children got very, very into cars. And he was able, he could by sight, I think he probably could still do it today, even though he's a Chashuva based Medjushbacha today, but by sight, he could tell you every car, year and make and model, every single car on the highway. And this is a Maisa Shahaya that my wife spent time like harving the sugya of cars. When she was in the car, she would like say, okay, you know, Shalarie, what's that one? What's that? Oh, that's this. She knows much better than I do now. And trust me, she's not the type. But I would encourage these parents that these types of connections to our children and to appreciate what our children appreciate and to see what they're good at. Our kids have so much to give to us. Yeah, sometimes there are things that are negative, but that doesn't define them.
Let's go to the next live question you're on. Hello? Yep. Okay. How are you doing, Ravasher? Baruch Hashem, how are you? Good, very good. Thank you so much for giving us the schuss of having such a wonderful share. Thank you. Um, we would like to know, how do you explain to a child when a child says, but everyone is doing it? Say hashkofikli and say, you know, sometimes let's say it's midwinter vacation. And he says, all my friends are going to American Dream. They're going skiing. And you don't, it's not for you. And the kid says, but everyone is doing it. How do you answer such a child? I love the question. And I'm, I'm excited that you brought it up. I, I, I have this thing that I've tried to do over the years in my family. And I, I want to share it with you. I think if people would take this on in their families, it, it could be incredible. We have to create like that our family is a special club. There are things that our family does. I was talking to a mechanic many years ago when I moved to Waterbury and he lived, this mechanic lived out of town and I had heard of him. He was a well-known mechanic and I sat down with him and I asked him how to raise good kids out of town. And he told me this yesoid and I've built on it and lived this yesoid for years. He told me we have to stop um, um, teaching our children to look outside the family so much and build like the culture of our family. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. I don't mean in our family, we don't go to American Dream. And in our family, we don't go to baseball games. And in our family, we're miserable. And our family, we're mad at each other. No, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is the first of all, I tell my, my son or my daughter, in our family, we have special jokes. In our family, we have such fun times. In our family, we have our special family minhagim. In our family, we go on our own special trips. There's our family. My, I live on Euclid Avenue in Waterbury. And my, my kids, we, we live in our own world. It's our family. This is what our family does. When I became a Rav, I was macabre on myself that after every major yuntif, I'm going to take my family away for Shabbos. We rent a cabin somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and, and, and I spend time with the family because sometimes a family is missing their father a little bit when their father is a Rav on Yantif. And it became our family's minig. And this is what we do. This is what we do Friday nights, our family. So then when I, my child wants to go to American Dream, and it's not what, what I want, that's not what I think is right for our family, it's easy for me to say in our family, we don't go to American Dream because our family is our family. And I think that to make it into like just the most exciting place. You know, it's the summertime now. I don't know if your kids are in camp, but every camp is doing that. Our camp is the best camp. In our camp, we have the most fun. Do that to your family. And the, the, just a footnote to that question is I would ask you to ask yourself, you sure he can't go skiing in American Dream? I would ask you to ask yourself that question. In other words, sometimes we do need to be sensitive to the everybody. You know, my icker answer is make our family the best, funnest, excuse the word, um, place in the world. But I just think it is important, you know. Um, I had a, I had a mispalel 
that, you know, that his children, you know, like went around the house collecting money to try to get, gather enough money to buy the gadget that was the in thing. Remember Menachem? Remember the fidget spinners and the, the pop-out things? So I don't remember which thing it was, but his kids went like behind his back to buy those things. And he asked me what I thought about this, that his kids went behind his back. I was like, I don't understand. Why didn't they just use the ones in the house? He said, we don't have any in the house. I was like, the whole world has fidget spinners and you don't have any in your house? There is a time that we, we don't have, there is a time that our children have a very, very hard time being independent. Let's be judicious where we teach them to be independent. Let's be careful about that. If we could give in, I know we feel like we're giving in to the fad. It's okay. It's okay. When they get older, they'll, 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 be, they'll be more mature. But sometimes it's more of a hashkafa thing or it's something that you feel like is not right for them. And there you tell them, in our family, we don't do it. And you'll see if you make our family the place they want to be, it will work. Hey, Maridik. Okay, you're on. Hi, Rabbi Sunshine. So I'm still a bacher, past the teenage years, but... Um, the show is very amazing. I was reminded, you know, Baruch Hashem, I had a good upbringing with my parents. We had a good relationship. There were times, obviously, where we got into disagreements or there was something I wanted to do where I felt maybe my trust was not enough or just any disagreement. And there's this classic, you know, term. I don't think just my parents, it could be anyone. They say, oh, keep it of an aim. You know, you have a mitzvah, you have to listen to us, this. And at the end of the day, has, from a Torah perspective, they're right, right? There's a mitzvah, keep it of aim, listen to us. But there's this feeling like I would have, like, yeah, but you're being biased. You're using it as, like, your tool, your weapon for me to listen to you. So, obviously, it was still a challenge. You always have to listen to what the Torah says. But how do we, if we want to give it, we want to teach the mitzvah of keep it of aim to our kids in a way that they could appreciate the mitzvah of keep it of aim and enjoy it without using it for our bias for them to listen to what we want them right we want them to do for us what is the way to teach cuba Avim the proper way okay this is amazing these are great questions um okay first of all calling and you'll find the the right shidduch and the right time and raise a beautiful mishpacha amen um you know, I, I, I'll i tell you the so short answer. Time, he heard so many shiurim of ours. Uh, he's going to be the perfect husband because he has, he has all the information. Not stop. <laughs> um, you, you, I'll tell you the short answer in terms of how to teach Kibbut Aveim, and then maybe I'll respond a little more to some of the points that you brought up. Um, I, I believe that we should teach Kibbut Aveim by teaching our kids to respect the other spouse. It's not a, it's, you have to be very careful with parenting. I'm sure that most of the people on tonight are parents. And it's, it's sometimes our own egos get in our way when we're, when we're parenting and it becomes about us. The Torah didn't give a mitzvah of kibbutz Ava'im to boost our egos so that we should feel good about ourselves or be powerful in our houses. We have to be very careful about that. We were given a very delicate job to raise children. And part of that is to teach them the value of respecting where they come from, which is really what Kibbutz Ava'im is. 
and to teach it to, to use Kibar Ava'im as a power play, that's not the Ratzon Hashem. That's not what Kibar Ava'im is. You have to be very careful. You know, I'm reminded of a um, I'm reminded of a time that my wife and I were driving in the country and we were on a lonely country road. And for some reason, at the end of the road, there was a traffic cop there who stopped us. There were no cars for miles. I don't know, maybe something was going on on the street. And this guy was the king of that lonely country road. And at some point I got out of the car and was like, sir, when was the road gonna open? And he acted like I was trying to get into the White House. Like, sir, get back into your car, you know, like, and I felt so bad for him that he needed to like have dominance over the lonely country road. And, and we have to be careful about that. We're not here to be powerful over our children because we need it. And if we think that's what's going on, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us, but it means that we need to think about ourselves and get our own help and make sure that we're being mechanech our children for our children and not for ourselves. And one of the great shmiras for that is that instead of me standing up for my covid and my children and, and my wife standing up for her covid I stand up for her covid and she stands up for my covid you know my, my children I don't know I, I don't know how many of my children are on right now I'm sure some of them are and I'm sure that they already predicted what I'm about to say I'm sure but in our house and you could try it any of you that knows any of my children from oldest to youngest you could try, I challenge you to try it. Walk over to any of my children at any time and say to them, mommy is a, and they will say queen. Because they have heard me say those words so many times in, in our house with a smile on my face in a gentle way and sometimes in a more musser way. But mommy is a queen in my house from me, from me you're getting musser if you don't treat mommy like a queen. And that's a way that I could teach Kibar Ava'im without it being about myself. And I do like your sensitivity about not using Kibar Ava'im. And I want to point out that Kibar Ava'im means that I respect my parents. It doesn't mean that I agree with them. You know, it's not a violation of Kibar Ava'im to disagree with them. If I disagree in a chutzpah way, that's of course a violation. But telling my parent that I, that I look at something differently I don't think it's in Shulchan Arach that that's a violation. I don't think it says anything. I think that's an honest, authentic relationship. As a parent, I want my children to tell me when they disagree with me. And I don't want to, it's not, I don't consider it a, a, a lack of kibar ava'im. I, I, I consider it part of our relationship. And by the way, my children are very free with telling me what they think when they disagree with me. They don't, tonight I'm speaking and, and, and we're doing this share. When we get off the share, if you think that there's a pressure in, in being on a share with a few hundred people, that's nothing. After I get off the share, I have to face my kids. Now we're going to see what the real opinions are. And I love that they feel that way. I love, I was, I, was, I was joking around about it on Shabbos. I love that my daughter, who's married now, says to me, Ta, with Chinuch, you got it almost 100%. I love that she says that, you know, and, and, and you know, I, and, and she shares that with me and we have that openness. That's not a lack of covet. You know, if she called me a name, that would be a lack of covet. So I, I really, really appreciate that question. I think that we do have to be careful not to just throw out, keep it out of aim, keep it out of aim, keep it out of aim. You know, I'm thirsty. I want another cup of tea. I'm holding a cup of tea. 
So like, keep it up, aim, get me a cup of tea. Come on, sun and shine, you're thirsty, get yourself a cup of tea. If it's time to be mechanech, your children, so then we're doing it for the purpose of chinuch, that we careful. But we have to be careful with that, that we're doing that for the right reason, not to be moil behektish. Most, many people are scared of that, though you mentioned. Um, if they'll let their children be expressive and they'll have to always face their kids, how, so how do you actually do that? How, do you, how are you ready to face your kids and, and uh, feel that pressure? Well, I hear, you know, I, I, I think that it, it definitely takes work and maybe that's something that we could consult people to try to work on in ourselves. But if we could have homes that are open enough that we could be vulnerable, there is no premise in my house that I'm perfect, that I'm always right. I have no problem apologizing when I do something wrong. And it doesn't take away from the COVID when it's done properly. It doesn't take away from that. And yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's taka sometimes difficult. But it's just overall, yes, I, you know, like a little bit, I think you said earlier, Menachem, when you started talking that, yeah, in order for me to face my kids, I really have to be able to face myself. It's not so posh sometimes, but that's not my kids' fault. That's not their problem. That's something I have to work out between me and my mirror. You know, when I come to my, when I come to my children, they should be able to say, I disagreed. I didn't like that. You know, I come home on Shabbos from Shul. I say, Rabbi, say, how did you like the drasha? Like, too long. You know, whatever the opinion is. You know, okay, they have a right to an opinion. They shouldn't be afraid to say it. They have to learn how to say it gently. I'm a human being. I could be hurt. And I could teach them to say it gently. I could say, could you say that a little nicer? Well, that was hard for me the way you said that. I can, I can have that dialogue with them. But never that they can't express themselves we're literally taking handcuffs off our children if we let them express ourselves. I mean, I, I want to just say sometimes our children are struggling with what we do. You know, I, I get upset and my children don't like it and it's, they're struggling with it. If I have a home that they could say, Ta, it's hard for us when you get upset. I just freed them. I just gave the, I just created an atmosphere in the home. I just have to have the strength to say, you know, I'm, I'm working on that. Thank you for telling that to me. I'm going to work on that. Um, on a side topic, would you recommend this for a Revy in a classroom? I know, I know, I know it's heavy. I know it's heavy. <laughs> yeah. It's you're taking, I mean, I mean like, I, I, the example that you said, taking, you're taking off the handcuffs, you're taking off the lock of the child. That's what many um, parents are afraid because like I mentioned, you're giving them wings and they're gonna fly who knows where. Yeah, yeah. But you know something? They deserve wings, you know? You know, I think for, for a Rebbe, for a Rebbe, yeah, there has to be a certain decorum in a classroom. And I'm talking about like high school based medrash, you know, like I think in elementary school, it does have to be more regimented. You know, even with with tons of love, but it has to be more regimented because because children need schedule and boundaries and so on. But as the children get older, one thing is for sure. And I would be I wish we could do a poll right now. You know, the the um, 
how many people, you know, the Rebbe tries to give over this feeling to his 15-year-old Talmudim that he's perfect and knows everything or he's always right? Are they falling for it? Do the Talmudim think, oh yeah, wow, my Rebbe knows everything? Or Dafka the Rebbe that's willing to say, I don't know, and willing to be machnia, willing to learn something from a Talmud, I find that those are the Rebbeim that end up being, being respected. It takes inner strength and courage. It really takes courage to be able to be vulnerable. But that's where many parents are. So we're basically growing up together. 100%. 100%. 100 I cannot say it better. That's really what it is. When we're raising our children, we're growing with them and we're growing from them and they're growing from us. You know, our family's growing together. Yeah. Hey, Rabbi Sanjan, let's get to this question. It's a little bit uh, interesting. A little shown bias related. My husband and I decided to get, give our 15-year-old more freedom and space over the last couple of months. He really messed up a few times coming home really late and started to smoke and hanging out with a new group of friends, not such good boys, let's put it that way. My husband now is going back to the strong, no trust rules and more, more rules type of parenting. I tried to explain him that this will only backfire at this point. What can I do as a mother to balance still giving him, my son more freedom and also trying to calm and explain my husband that he doesn't create this huge web and fight between him and him? That's a good question. You know, it's a very, very tough place to be when one parent is not 100% in agreement with another parent about, about how kids are being uh, parented. And sometimes it's very painful because sometimes people feel like the other parent is hurting their children. And that's very, very difficult. And you don't want to bring the disagreement to the children, but it could be, it could be very difficult. So I first want to acknowledge the difficulty in the question. I want to acknowledge what the what the questioner is going through. Um, this husband that's coming down harsh, I wonder why he's coming down harsh. Is he coming down harsh because he holds this didn't work the first way or because he's insulted and angry and it was hard for him? And if it's the second way, I really think that, you know, he, he, he should speak to someone and, or, you know, maybe the husband and wife could work through it. We have to realize that when our children act out, it's not at us. They love us. It's not at us. They, they, they have their Yetzirahs and they're trying to make it in a, in a complicated world and they're being pulled in a lot of directions. And it's, it's not about us. And I would want to encourage that father to just assess where he's coming from. What, what's, what, what's motivating him? Now, it could be that he's saying, okay, I tried it your way. Now we're doing it my way. If that's the case, also, I would want to have a dialogue with him where, where, we, where we talk about that, that the fact that something didn't work the first time or the second time or the third time, is there anyone here who hasn't tried something 10, 15 times, you know, and failed and still has to try again? Like the fact that something failed a few times, that doesn't, that doesn't mean the approach was wrong. But Lamaisa, if the husband is not budging on it, now with all my commentary about the husband's decision, if the husband's not budging on it, there's nothing that the wife could do about it without creating a explosion in the house, which is for sure, L'chol is the worst thing in the house. So then it's a matter of her trying to create space with her child and, and, and give to him without, and please don't do this, please don't criticize your husband to your child. 
He has enough on his shoulders. He doesn't need to walk around with that. That is a tough burden. You may think you're doing him a favor by telling him, I agree with you, but you're really making it tough for him because now he's like somehow wedged into the marriage. And it's, it's just such a tough place for him to be. You know, you have to be able to take a step back and say, this is what Tati decided. This is what Abba decided. And without, and if he says, yeah, but you don't agree, you could say, we make our decisions together and this is what we're doing. Without bringing the disagreement to the child, I don't think that that's healthy, but I do think that child needs his mommy to be his friend and to take walks with him and to listen to him and, and to allow him to talk about all the insanity in his life. And she could listen and she could get it and think about the people listening right now. Think about how many times it happened that, the, that you, you know, how many of you, that person that was able to listen to you, whether it was your mother or your father or an older sibling or a Rebbe or, or, or an older friend that just didn't judge you and just let you talk, how much that contributed to your being healthy today. Okay, um, here's another interesting question. My son engages in debates with me every Shabbos regarding the school system whether students should be permitted to have their own cell phones and I guess all of these topics. He expresses anger towards the system. How should I respond? Usually I tell him we're, that we're done with these conversations. I don't want you to bring it up again, but he wants to know how to respond in a healthy way. If, if it's okay, I would disagree with the question respectfully. I wouldn't. I wouldn't wonder how to respond. It's not about responding. You know, you don't have to. Be, you don't have to be a lawyer for the system. You don't have to be a lawyer for the Torah. You don't have to be a lawyer for Hashem. Your son is expressing that he's upset at the system. That he thinks they messed up. He thinks they got it wrong. Okay, so I don't see what the harm is in that. He thinks they got it wrong, and I am listening to him. If in our home, we don't do it that way, in our family, like I said before, we don't do it that way, and he's towing the line, but he just doesn't hold of it. So then, you know, other Abba, then I would use the opportunity to express to him how impressed I am that even though he doesn't hold of it, but he's going along with what we asked him to do. And I would want to schmooze with him about it, and I would want to hear his perspective. And you know something? No system is perfect. And there are weaknesses in our system, as anyone will tell you. And if your child, I think that sometimes we get very nervous when our children attack the system because it hits a raw nerve. Because we, we, we sometimes it's hard for us. Sometimes we have issues with the system too. Sometimes we were also hurt by the system. And there's nothing wrong with telling my child to saying to my child, I hear what you're saying. Wow. And this is a, just if I could give you a little bit of a, of a, of a trick, instead of responding, I would I would ask questions. I would do like a Coach Menachem uh, uh, evening. I would say, so how would you run the system, and what would you do with that? And he could be he'll have answers, or you know, to all of those things. And that's great. But just that you know, because they sometimes they would trust us. They would trust us. They would let us have phones. And I so so we could keep role playing it if you want. I would say to that, do you think all of your friends are trustworthy? What's your experience with your friends? If he says yes, I'll assume that he's part of an unbelievably unusual group of children. And, uh, and I'll have learned something. But I doubt that he'll say, you know, 
that he'll say, yeah, yeah, we would trust. Yeah, but what, really, you would try. What would you do if someone broke that trust? How would you handle it? What would you do if someone's life was ruined from it? How would you handle that? How I always tell, I always tell people when when young people ask me advice, I always say, I'm thinking about the advice I'm giving you, but I'm also thinking about what the 30 year old you is going to think about the advice I gave you today. Wow. You know, so, you know, like in, in, in 10 years, when people say you ruined my life, why did you let me have that dangerous thing? I would tell my son. So what would you respond to them? You know, get them thinking. And by the way, don't even think, don't even have a hava, Amina, that your son's going to say, oh, Taka, I hear what you're saying. You're right. That's not, he's not mature enough for that. But when he goes back to his room at night, he will have learned something. Here, Rabbi Sunshine, another question came in, but it's going to be a hard one. Because we're going to talk only to the kid, not to the parent, okay? Okay. This is the question. Every kid that I know has this question. My parents are older, and they struggle to understand our generation. All my friends have phones. They enjoy themselves. They go out late at night. Nothing wrong with it. We're having a good time. When I try to discuss with my parents maturely, they refuse to listen to me. I'm not sure how much longer I could tolerate them consistently you know, telling me what to do. What as a, and, and talking to the kids, what should I do to express to my parents, like, wake up, smell reality, this is the reality I live in? Well, it's very, very tough. Um, the, easiest, the easiest approach to that is if there is someone available, if, you know, it, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm I, I'm going to a, to the Rabbanim's conference tomorrow. I think I mentioned to you in in Chicago. So they they want me to say something there about how to be how a rav could be close to Bachrim and his shul. I think this is a great opportunity for a rebbe or a rav to be consulted, especially the parents' rav. Sometimes could be such a good address to go to. And I, I know as a Rav, I've done this. I've sat down with parents and said, like, no, no, you need you need to allow, a, 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 you know, A, B, or C. In today's generation, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. You need to you need you need to allow that and to work through with them. You know, I mentioned to you the parent a little while ago that that we're we're, we're coaching and we're working together that he should learn how to say yes. So this will be another case where the Rav will sit with the parents. And learn how to say yes. Of course, the, the the child should be should be respectful, but that you know, I think that that's the best and easiest option. If there's no rav and no rebbe, and it's just between the child and his parents, I don't know if I have an etza other than to keep at it. You know, and he said your questioner said I don't know how long I could hold out. You know, uh, you know, I I wish I could hold his hand for a few minutes. And sit with him and give him give him the kayach that he needs and help him navigate it. Maybe Hitaka needs a good friend or a Rebbe that he could speak speak it over with. But um, but Reb Usher, I'm not answering that question. It's not. Uh, I don't have an answer that some sometimes with our parents and with our children, we're dealing with situations that that we don't have an easy answer. We have to daven. We have to try to try to try to deal with it. Okay. On that note, I'm going to give you a very easy question. Okay. Uh, I think I deserve it. Yeah, this is this is the easy one. Um, I'm a little bit more old school. I understand that I try to be more lenient, but I'm extremely. It's extremely hard for me. I'm just, that was the way I was brought up, right? I I doubt that Hashem should help me to learn to be more with today's generation. My question is: My oldest child has the chutzpah to tell me not to yell to be strict with the other children. He criticizes how I mechanic the other kids, claiming that I'm rooting it for them. While there may be some truth in what is his perspective, I'm not disagreeing, 
I find it so disrespectful for him to tell me what to do. Should I overlook his behavior or try to find common ground with him? How do I deal with a kid who's sitting in front of other kids and telling me how to be Mahana to the rest of my kids? It's an easy one. <laughs> Thank you. That was really as easy. Uh, first of all, I, 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 I feel the struggle of the, you, the, the way you just said the question, even though I didn't hear the questioner, but but uh, but the way you said the question, I hear the struggle. Oh, it was me. It was, my, it was my question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, um, I I I hear the I hear the, the the back and forth. It's not it's not easy, and it sounds like this parent does recognize that there there are changes that he really should make in order to be properly mechanech's children. It's almost like his oldest son has a point, but it's hard to hear it from him. So just a few pointers. First of all. Call the son aside and tell him that I, I want to hear what you have to say. And I, I want to have this conversation with you. Can we not have it in front of the other kids? It's hard for me. And that, I think, is okay for a parent to be vulnerable and to say, you know, th th this type of criticism is between me and you. And, of course, it has to be given over in a respectful way and in a loving way. And there's nothing wrong with telling a child I'm working on it. I don't. It, it, he already knows. He's not, it's not like, it's not like if I tell the child, no, this is my mahalach, I have it all right. It's not like he's going to think like, oh, okay, thank you for teaching that to me. He knows it's a struggle for me. If I'm struggling with it, my oldest knows. And, and, and if I just share, this is something that we're, we're, this is something that I'm working on. This is not easy. It's not that I would say to him. Uh, not about my parents, by the way. My parents were not like this, but but um, but 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 this person's uh, parents, I, you know, probably were not the most uh, permissive parents. I would say to my son, you know, Bobby and Zadie, we love them, but just um, I grew up in their house, and transitioning to today's generation, it's an avoda for me, and I'm working on it. It's okay to do that with our children. Our children are not expecting perfection from us. When we act like we're perfect to our children, we're just being mazik them because the world is not full of perfect. It's okay to be struggling. It's okay to say we're going to work on this together. I, 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 I want to tell you something that, that um, when, when, my, when my oldest was, was uh, I should not be saying this, Barabim, but I wanna, I'm going to say it anyway. When my oldest was bar mitzvah, it was a tkufa that I myself was struggling a little bit with making it to Minyanim. It wasn't easy. I can, I'm about to start rationalizing it. I'm not going to do that. But I was, I was struggling, whatever the reason. I was struggling with going to Minyanim. Could you imagine, Rabbi Asher, I'm, I'm about to bring a, have a bar mitzvah bacher, my first bar mitzvah bacher. And I want to teach him, of course, he has to daven with a minion. But well, who am I fooling? I don't daven with a minion. I sat down with him and I said, Moish, we're going to work on it together. I'm working on davening with the minion and I'm excited that you should start davening with the minion and we're going to work on it together. And Baruch Hashem, it's many years later now. I have not had reason to regret that decision. I still have, a, I'm, he still treats me with tremendous covet. You know, I, 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 he's Baruch Hashem davens with the minion, you know, He's, it's, 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 it, 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 it didn't hurt to be, to be vulnerable. And in fact, if I wouldn't have been, so what am I doing? I'm saying, do as I say, not as I do. That's not, that's not chinuch. Wow. Thank you for that vulnerability. Shkayach.
Um, here's a question. Um, my daughter, or second, is facing challenges in school and with her connection to Yiddishkeit in general. She's a good girl, but she doesn't feel a connection with her teachers. And to be honest, they don't provide her with the time and understanding she requires. When she comes home, she expresses frustration towards a teacher, calling them hypocrites due to the um, disparity between what they say and what they do. Am I expected to tolerate her speaking in such a manner? How could you not? She's in, sounds like she's in so much pain. You know, it's interesting. Um, two years ago, Rabbi Kalish and I did a Q&A on Hanukkah time, and somebody gathered all the questions, and he showed us the questions before. And we both of us crossed out one question. And the question that we crossed out that was hard to talk about Barabim is about criticizing Rabbeim and teachers. And when could a parent tell a child, yeah, you Rebbe shouldn't have said that? It's a very, very, very difficult thing. And I'm not going to address it now either. It's a very, very, very tough thing. It needs to be one-on-one, because the respect of our teachers and Rabbeim is crucial. It's crucial that our children not hear at home criticism of Rabbeim. But if children are suffering, and sometimes whatever's going on there, but they're coming home and they're bizarre, I'm the parent. If I'm not going to be open to listening to what they're going through, who will? What should they do with that, sir? So my, my, my answer would be for now that, of course, this daughter needs to be listened to and it needs to be very clearly given over to her that we understand what you're going through. We understand that you feel this way. If, if I'm able to, I would, tell, I would tell my daughter, you know that you... Your, your teachers are trying their hardest. You know how difficult it is today. I would try to be Dan Lakafskos and try to say it in a positive light. But this parent that you just quoted, this parent knows that the, the or feels that the teachers are not giving what they should give to this daughter. That's of what she needs. And perhaps that needs to be dealt with. And there's 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 a lot to do there. But how could you not? Tell me, like, what should this girl do? She's going into her 10th grade. She's coming home feeling clapped. She's coming home feeling beaten up. She's coming home feeling not understood. She's frustrated. She has feelings inside that, that are scaring her. If she can't tell it to me, who's she telling it to? Of course, I have to make create an open mucka where she where she's able to where she's able to express herself. I it comes out that she's criticizing teachers. I, as a parent, have a very tough call to make. We're on the spectrum. I give that daughter space to say that's how she feels or and, and how much to, you know, to acknowledge that or to agree with that. You know, and that's, a, again, that's a, that's a private, Shaila. But the, the issue itself, you know, you asked, like, how should I, you know, can, like, if we can listen, we need to listen. We need to listen because these our children need to be able to express themselves to us. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's your opinion, Reb Menachem? I was going to say that listening is number one. Listening, creating that space for them. That if that's the way they feel, then that's the way they feel. Can't contradict. Can't say it's not true. Can't say don't talk that way. Can't push them away. So listening, and I know listening itself is a skill. Yeah. 
What a lot you, of times what? parents will say, you know, let's say a child will sit by the table and say, I hate my Rebbe. So a parent will say, no, you don't. And that's a disaster. We can't tell our parent, our children what they're feeling. Yeah. Okay, Rebbe, so I'm trying, let's, let's take a different angle here. Are you ready? Somebody sent in a question. We're a yeshivish family, and one of our children, and one of, our, of my children have slightly different, more cool personality. My two boys constantly argue about correct approach in Yiddishkeit. I find it difficult to listen to their conversations, and deep down, I usually tend to defend the yeshivish perspective because that's our true identity. How could I react in a situation like this? I want to ensure that we maintain respect for everyone involved without potentially negative, negatively impacting our children who are otherwise good kids, but I'm going to explain a little deeper end of the day we're, we're coming out with this whole this whole mahalach over here of letting kids speak and giving them the space and you know, it's very good when you're dealing with one-on-one -on -one, but when you're dealing with the sibling rivalry it's a whole different animal because you got to do you got to juggle both of them at the same time yeah that's great the, 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 in terms of the first part of that you said i'm just excited for that parent that's great he has all these debates going on by his Shabbos table Good for you that you raise children that feel comfortable expressing themselves. Part of our finuch has to be that we, we, we respect each other. You know, in, in my family, I have children, you know, that some are more yeshivish, some are less yeshivish, you know, and, and, and they, they, you know, they, they, they love each other and they take care of each other and they look out for each other and they strongly disagree with each other in certain things. I love it. I, I don't hear the kasha. I don't hear the problem. It's gewaldig. There's different opinions going on. That's great. The second part that you said, I can see where that would get a parent uh, nervous. And that is, I don't want my younger children to become not yeshivish if I let this child speak too much. Is that what you meant, Rebusher? If I speak too much about, oh yeah, I respect this, two, two approaches as if they're two equal approaches, chas v'shalom, my child might not be so yeshivish. You know, the chalila. So, so on that, you know, I think that I have two, two nakudas to say about that. Nakuda number one is, are you sure? Are you sure you younger children are cut out for the intense yeshivish life? Are you sure that it's not a good idea that people in the children in your family can see that they could be erlich and 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 serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu in different ways that they that they that they were modeled that in their home? Do we know, really, all my younger kids are for sure future, you know, Riverdale, Talmidim? That's for sure. It's just my Nebuch, my older kid who's in Eisdorf? Really? Is that is that really the way it is? Or does each child need to find their route and their journey and, and their path? And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support each one's path. And especially in your case, the question that you asked, that the questioner is more yeshivish himself. Well, I want to tell that questioner, if you are more yeshivish yourself, don't worry. Your kids know the whole story. They get it. We have to stop thinking our children are stupid. They are not. They get it. They see their yeshivish father with the payas behind his ears and the Rebbech Shmuel in front of him. They see that father giving covet to the son or the daughter that's not yeshivish. And they are not thinking for a second that their father is like, oh, it's equal to me, the two things. They're not thinking that. 
that's not, you don't have to worry about that, but they are learning a tremendous lesson about Avas Yisrael and accepting family. That, what an unbelievable lesson. That father is making a huge Kiddush Hashem by allowing the, 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 uh, the party that you just described take place by his Shabbos table. I love it. Tell him that he should invite me for Shabbos. Well, you're, you're, in a way, you're um, shaking the whole foundation of the family. You're shuckling the whole. It, he wouldn't want to open this conversation, you know. Everybody should—they shouldn't know there's other options out there. Yeah, about that. <laughs> no, we're not going to be able to. We're not going to be able to um, insulate our children from ever knowing what's out there. That's not our job as mechanchim. Our job, like are we talking about molding in the beginning, our job as mechanchim is not to build a wall around them. Our job as mechanchim is to give them the kalim so that they can go out into the world and do things the way they understand that the Rabbani Shalom wants from them. Mm -hmm. I can't hide from my children what's out there. I've never seen, you know, uh, uh, you know, could be I'm wrong, but I have never seen it work. Okay. Um, here is a question. I, I allowed my 10th grader to decide on his own what time his curfew should be. And we decided for 11 o'clock. I mean, we he decided 11 o'clock and I was master. Mm -hmm. And it's been a, a, many times that he doesn't come home till one. He still hasn't, you know, he does, doesn't come home. When I asked him where he was, tells me he was simply chatting with his friend and, uh, you know, he tries to drain himself out. How can I trust him in a situation like this? And do I still allow him to make his own decisions? It's a good question. I, I would love for, for, for this parent to have, to have that exact conversation. The question you just asked me should be asked to that child. I would say to my son, remember we decided that it's going to be 11 o'clock? Not we decided, you decided it's going to be 11 o'clock. And then you didn't keep to that. So tell me, how could we make this work? You know, a couple of years ago, one of my daughters was in high school and she had a smartphone. And at some point she realized that, I think it was through email or something, that somehow she was able to get onto YouTube. You have to mention that it, was, that it was filtered. It was filtered, of course. I just want to, the should know. Yeah, the smartphone was filtered and we only, we got it for her for a specific purpose. Usually our children don't have smartphones. But uh, but the, but she she needed it, and in our family, we don't feel like all children have to be treated exactly the same. Everyone gets what they need, and she needed it. It was filtered, but she discovered that she can she can she can watch YouTube videos. So she came over to me and she said, "I discovered that we, I can watch YouTube videos. Do you want to block it?" Which I already considered such a nachas that I was told that. So I said to her, "It's up to you." I want to trust you that you're not watching something inappropriate. What's better for you? Should I block it or should I just trust you? So she said, don't trust me, block it. So I blocked it. And then she came back to me about two years later and she said, Ty, you could trust me now. And I unblocked it. And, um, and, and I do trust her. And I, you know, now she's a, a mommy herself. And of course I trust her. But but it was such it was so important. She learned her own autonomy. I would tell that parent, we said eleven o'clock, and you came home at one o'clock. 
could you explain that to me? And he'll say, I lost track of time. It was hard for me. My, my friends were making fun. Us, I would say, so, so what, could, what could we do to, to help with that? I recently said to my son, you know, we were talking about trusting with technology. And he said to me, you know, because my son, as I've told you before, my children don't, don't hold back. He told me, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I want you to trust me, but I also want you to check in with me once a week to see how I'm doing with that. So I need to have that conversation with him. You know, there's one, there's another question, what's he doing out there till one o'clock? But I think the first thing is he want, he said 11. Why did he say 11? He wanted to do 11. He's disappointing himself. So let's, let's talk to him about it. Would it help if I texted you? Would it help if I called you? Should I be waiting up for you? How do you want to do this? Was 11 too early? Should we make it 1130? Can we try tonight that for sure you're home 1130? I want to just- Let's have this conversation. I want to just clarify something because I'm having a hard time with that. It's all good when you're dealing with a logical kid that you could have this conversation and debate and you could discuss and you could think and you rationalize it and you go back and forth. But then there's a big group that they're offline. So they'll be like, yeah, I'll be home at 11 o'clock. They come home at one. You sit down with them and say, listen, how are you going to get up tomorrow? No, I'll get up. They don't get up the next day. You have the conversation, but they're offline. So you're not working with a, you're not working with somebody that's, you're talking to like almost like an adult. That's, oh, I get it. Yeah, it makes sense. I have to get up to get, I don't want to get fired from my job. I'll be up at nine. I shouldn't be out late. But when the kid's offline and they're like, oh, like that. And this conversation doesn't really work. Wow. You know, I, I was talking about this case specifically because the son himself came up with the time. Let's 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 say now with that case. Let's say in general. But, but, we'll go back to the side of it. You're dealing with a kid. Yeah, that you so then, you know, right. unless unless the child is, you know, might be putting himself into danger out there. You know, if the, the kid that you're des- describing, that's, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a little flaky. He's, he's he, you know, he's, uh, he's, you know. We, we got to let them grow up at their own pace. You know, it's not it, not necessarily true. You know, it's not necessarily true that that, um, you know, that, that that every kid has to have the same thing. And, and, and you know, some kids, some kids, you know, some kids mature a little later. Sometimes you'll have teenagers that are that are growing up that are growing up late. Yes, he'll be a little tired. Yes, he's going to wake up late the next morning. But I'm, 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 and I'm working with him, and we're trying to talk about it. The kid that you described—that's like out to lunch. He's not ready to. He's not ready to think about it. So that kid, I'm just trying to hang on to and to stay friends with until we can talk. I'm trying to to hold on tight, like like riding a rodeo, so that when the time comes that he's ready to be mature, we're friends. As it says in Chazal, Chazal say more than one place that we're supposed to be friends with our children. The question, the question is also regarding the cell phone. If your daughter mentioned that now you could trust me, would that be something generalized? Because I know many people are going to get back to me uh, after this year. Um, how could you trust, even though your daughter said, now you can trust me, really? Should we, could we trust our kids with an open YouTube and whatever it is, you know, I, I I think each each in that case it wasn't you know it wasn't stam an open an open phone, you know we don't do you know we, we we don't do in our family we don't do open phones, but but you know but the truth is that when it comes to this type of thing and it could be that girls in general are different than boys, 
It could be because we know that the struggle for this type of stuff with girl with boys is a little bit more difficult than with girls overall. I don't want to stereotype and make rules, but overall, not not certainly not black and white, certainly not a hundred percent. But but you know there. When, when my child is an adult and my child is telling me to trust him to do his own thing and to do it his way, I'm not here to be his 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 enforcer. I'm not here to do that. Now, it could be that I could say in this house, I want to have filtered phones. Okay, that's a that's a reasonable thing. And I want to clarify, we certainly, certainly, certainly hold very, very strongly that every single device should be filtered, for sure. You know, the, 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 the world is insane and becoming more insane by the minute. And the damage that's done and the dangers that people are in, for ourselves, we need that. For, for sure, for sure, for sure. But, but you're talking about in an individual basis, an individual basis, I have to weigh my relationship with my child, where they're up to. Some kids, kids have different natures. Not every kid needs a filter the way every other kid does. It's not such a black and white thing. Do I really know my child? Am I, am I really getting the full picture? All of that needs to be on the table. But in general, just to clarify, because you said you're going to get calls after, just to clarify, please, as much as possible, you know, filter, filter, filter. It's important to filter. Not because we were making assumptions, not because we're babies, but because we have to protect ourselves from, 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 from slipping in the dirt, from, from getting hurt. And our children could, become, could come into really, really, really dangerous situations because of it. And sometimes they won't even tell us and it could be, it could be very, very difficult. That's the klal. The prat, speak to your rav, speak to your rebbe and figure out how to handle each kid as a prat. Mm-hmm. Is that a little clear? Yes, very clear. Okay, next live question, you're on. Yes, uh, I'm, we're having kind of a little bit of the opposite challenge. Our son is getting older and uh, he's already based Medrash age. He's coming home from yeshiva, feel, failing like a failure. He's had unsuccessful Zman after Zman, even though he's bright and gifted, it just hasn't worked for him in yeshiva. As he's gotten older, we've tried to empower him and not, you know, solve all his problems and try to trust him to work things out. And yet each time he really doesn't take steps to help himself and he just sinks further, further down. And we encourage him to speak to people. We value him. We we, we try to create dialogue and he mostly uh, rebuffs it and you know and doesn't take advantage at one point do we start to try to reinsert ourselves more as parents and start making decisions for him when he won't do it himself and or do we just let him you know as he's getting older continue to give him the try to give him the tools and empower him and even let him struggle through it you know and watch him not help himself along the way does he acknowledge or realize this cycle that you're describing? Yes, he 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 admits he's he's lost, 
we encourage him to talk to people, but he doesn't take advantage of it. We reach the handout to even have dialogue, and he really doesn't acknowledge and take advantage of it. And how would you reinsert yourself if you would? We would start taking the you know more route of setting. Well, if you're not going to speak to people, we know that it'll help you, and we'll start lining people up for you to speak to, whether it be in the professional world, in the in the spiritual world. You know, help him where he's not helping himself, but yet he's getting older and bigger, and we don't want to do it with his arm twisted against his uh, uh, back. But on the other hand, we keep giving him opportunities and dialogue and we are his fans and we try to be supportive, but he's not taking the reach, the hand that's reaching out to him, not from his rabbeim and not from us. Mm -hmm. You've been in contact with his rabbeim? Yes. So first of all, it sound, you sound like incredible parents. That's first of all. And uh, it's, it's, it's a big challenge. I've seen this before, you know, several times that sometimes as children get older, they seem to have this like either fear or blockage in life stepping into adulthood. You know, tonight we decided as a, you know, as a share about transitioning to adulthood, some kids themselves, and I like the way you started that it's like an opposite problem. Some kids stop, they kind of sit down on the floor. They're like, I'm done, I'm staying here. I liked being a kid, thank you. Please continue to take care of me. And you know, I think that it might be a good idea to try to make a, first of all, to make a judgment call if he needs a little bit more time or not. Some kids are maturing later and they just need a little bit more time. But but if that's not the case and you suspect, and as a mother, you have a very, very strong sense, you know, and if you suspect that it, more time is not going to help and it's going to take a while and and, and, and you're going to give it time and it's just going just gonna to sit and, and he's just going to feel worse and worse and worse about himself, what I would ask him is, if he could please empower me to, 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 to get the ball rolling a little. In other words, I wouldn't insert myself and just say against your will, but it sounds like he, he, he needs help and he knows it. So it sounds like he might, need, he might need a little bit more of a push from his parents, but it would be a great thing if he knows that he suggested that. In other words, tell him, we're thinking of setting, lining you up with people. We're going to bring you to people. Would you, you know, can, can we do that? We will be your secretary. We want to help get the ball rolling, but to get to get his rishus for it, what do you think? Do you think that would be doable? I think so. At moments, he will trust us, uh, but you know, he pulls back. You know, there's today. There's a, a I don't know if it's an epidemic with kids who could sit with their earphones and sit in bed and just avoid life, yeah, and that yeah. seems to be his comfort zone. Versus, you know. Uh, will hold your hand through it, and uh, they yeah. default back to that. Yeah, I also I know this is a whole other subject that we really didn't touch, and it's really a different a different area. But it could be that you know if you if you bring him to someone for an assessment, it could be it's something that a little bit of medicine could help also. And it might be Kadai to look at that if that's the thing that could make the difference to give him the strength to live the life that he wants to lead, it's a small price to pay 
it could be Kedai. I know that it's uh, that there's a lot of feelings. There are, you know, there are a lot of people listening to this that are nodding their heads, and a lot of people listening to this that are probably horrified, you know, by the thought of 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 medicating. There's a lot of very strong feelings about it. But sometimes if that's what's holding a, a kid back, that's you know, and, and it would help if there's some kind of like an anxiety or depression that's holding them back. It's Kedai to get an assessment from a professional if they feel like at least for a short while, if that could help. I'm not saying that that's what you should do. Obviously, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. It's not my place to say, but I think it should be one of the choices on the table. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate the feedback and a great program. Thank you. Okay, um, let's let's just go a little bit more into this question. Somebody was texting me. I understand what you know what the rope's trying to say, and I make effort to have open conversation with my teenager. However, my spouse is more traditional and is resistant to letting go of certain matters. There's a lot of conflict arises between us when these issues come up. How could I encourage my spouse to change their perspective? So, like one one is getting the mahalach. You know, this wasn't their mahalach. Open dialogue, trust. And the other one is still old-fashioned school. How could they, how could between the marriage, between each other, how could a wife or a husband explain to the other person to try to go down a different road? Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, the, the fact that one parent has has one approach and the other one has a different approach, you know, it, 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 the, 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 obviously the two, you know, the two spouses need to respect each other's approach. And that means sometimes it might be a good idea, let's say if the husband is the one who's being more broad and the wife is the one who's being, you know, more, let's call it traditional or, or, or uh, staying in her lane. So, so you know, let, you know I, I, would, I, would tell, I would tell my wife, I'll handle those conversations, you know, but can we agree that sometimes that's what's better for our children to let them have the conversations? And I'll handle it. I know these are hard conversations for you to have. I'll I'll do those conversations. So that that could be something that that helps. And I also don't again part. You know, maybe you know. I I don't think it's a a bad thing for a family if there's a if it's open. It's an open secret in the family. It's something that we could talk about. That that um that mommy has a harder time with this than tati does or 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 tati has a harder time with this than mommy does it's okay it's okay for that to be for that to be part of the conversation i don't think there's a kid in the world that doesn't that can't list you the things that his mother and father disagree about and i'm talking about in good marriages in good marriages that's the case so you know like it, it's it's okay for it to for, for it to be that way otherwise Conversation, conversation, conversation. You know, like I would, I, I would want that spouse to 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 continue to have the to have these conversations. Tell them to listen to the recording of tonight's share. Yeah, here's a um, um somebody asked me for some practical tips. Um, let me just read it. Can the rabbi share some practical ideas on how to start when they're young to trust them, and for those who are struggling already. What are some steps that can that they can take to gain back trust and open communication? What are those first steps, you know, that they can take? Or for those who just got married, young kids, how can they elevate yeah. the family in a way that the child feels the trust? So I I think it's a very, very, very important question. It's because it does start then. 
you know, it really does start. And, and our young children are allowed to have their opinions. And I think that if we are attuned to that, so that, that could make a big difference. Um, you know, my, my, I, I'm the kind of father that I have like my jokes that I have with each one of my kids. And I'll admit I could be a little annoying saying the same joke again and again. And every once in a while, I've had a child saying, Tati, could you please stop saying that? I stop saying it when they say that because their opinion is important. And if it bothers them, then, then I'm not going to do it. They have a, they have a, it's, it's okay. And sometimes it's, it's an opinion about random things. You know, it doesn't have to be about important things, but my, my, uh, my five-year-old, my seven-year-old, my 10-year-old could have opinions about, about food, about clothing, about trips, about school, you know, about camp. We're in the summer now about, you know, about camp, about what's, you know, whatever it is. Am I listening and am I absorbing what they said, if my, I have a, I have a delicious um, daughter, Hindi, if my, and she's going into fourth grade. If she tells me that she thinks that certain kinds of trips are the right thing for the summer and certain kinds of trips are not, she needs to feel like I heard that and I'll come back to her. And I, and I have, I love schmoozing with her. We have great schmoozes. When I'm dealing with, uh, with uh, I'll give you an interesting tip that I, uh, that, that I discovered over the years. When you're dealing with very young children, it helps when you're schmoozing with them in a very gentle way to go. I don't know if you could, can you see my hands? If you, yeah. if you put your hands like this and let them put their hands on yours, mm -hmm. just for that brief conversation, but it keeps them focused. Don't force it. If they, they may just wander away. But just, you know, it keeps them focused and listen to them, schmooze with them. You know, when I put her on my lap or I, or I, or I, she's, you know, or, or we're sitting together or we're, we're schmoozing together, I think she needs to know that her tati is listening. And that's the first step. The first step is that we're listening and we hear her opinion. We hear and we care. We can have a joke together. She's a mensch. She's a person. When things go later on and, and, and we haven't developed the trust and this tension and so on, so then the, 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 there's no shortcut other than to spend that time together. And sometimes we need to avoid the conflicts in the beginning. But, but you know, it, the, the child that's, um, first of all, let me just say this, our children want desperately to have relationships with us. And sometimes we get afraid and sometimes we take their negativity as a statement that they don't want to have relationships with us. And it's not true. Anybody who's listening, I challenge you to try me. Try me. Take your son out for ice cream. Take your daughter for Slurpees. Take your daughter for a manicure. You know, and and uh, did I just say something bad? So you sit in the car or go inside? <laughs> you know, um, but the 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 go and spend the time with them and make yourself vulnerable and schmooze it over and speak about things and talk about things and listen. And from whatever age it is, trust could be built. Beautiful. And then there are those who struggle because they were so nice to their kids and the kids are taking advantage now. We hear that sometimes we do have to learn. Sometimes later on, we, we suddenly realize that we we weren't putting our foot down enough. You know, like 
it is important, and I don't want to give the wrong impression. It's good that you brought that up because it gives me an opportunity to say something that I hadn't said before. I don't want you to think that, because I keep pushing vulnerability and so on and so forth, that I think that we're equals to our children. We're not equals. We set the rules in the house. You know, I talked about making saying about our family, but I decide what our family does, my wife and I. And it is important that our children know you're the child, I'm the parent. That's important for them. They need that so desperately. And uh, I don't want I don't want all of our um, encouraging vulnerability and listening and trusting to turn into that we just run a zoo. You know that's not what we do. We do need that there should be it should be misuder, and we do need that there should be rules. And if, of course, a home needs to carry a certain structure. There's exceptions sometimes, but as a rule, of course, a home does need to carry some structure, and uh, and that's a that's a big part of it is setting that balance. Very good. Very good. Okay, Rabbi Sunshine. Um, we're gonna do one more question. There's a few more that we want to cover. People are texting, but um, I was gonna cover one more, and then we're gonna to go to closing part. Okay. Okay. An interesting question. Being that the topic is on trust and communication with our teens, I have a hard time with the lingo and the dialogue of the mainstream camps and yeshivas and mesiftas. After having boys go through the and graduate, and Berkshire, I'm doing very well in the Waterbury type yeshivas. Our experience has been communication model of trust and respect with most of the focus on positivity rather than lack of action or expectations of the negative behavior. This is extremely successful with all our boys. We now have a Masifta boy who's Berkshire doing very well in an Aleph track type of yeshiva. So they have another kid who's just doing great. We, however, get extremely triggered by the way things are being handled in these types of yeshivas. For example, the constant letters home with reminders, if your son is coded with a vape, smartphone, any device, he will be immediately suspended or even now in camp for visiting day, if you don't sign a release form for your child to go out during visiting day, well now we will not allow him back into camp tonight. Or having the no talking during davening strictly enforced. Why do these rules have to sound so negative and so threatening? Why only do we do the at-risk type of yeshivas use the language of their heritage and connection? How do we get past this so we don't pass on the negative feelings to our son, who Baruch Hashem, is doing well. We've trained our brains and our hearts to have complete different type of communication model, but they're getting triggered with their younger son, who's in the more mainstream. Where they, you know, once they went through the parsha and they understand a lot of these concepts, and they see it with the regular moises, they they're, they're getting very triggered with that. So, yeah. yeah, I certainly can understand that. Um, you know, let let me say this: sometimes you read Moser Svarim, and you ask yourself, why does the sefer sound so negative? You know, I, I've been teaching Masilis Yasharim for years. There are parts of Masilis Yasharim where, you know, instead of talking about how much schar you get for doing mitzvahs, he talks about how much einshim you get for doing averis. Why does he have to do that? Why doesn't he talk about the, the schar for doing mitzvahs? And the MS is that I think on some level, and you mentioned that word triggered, I think on some level we are sensitive because we've been hurt. So many of us have been hurt and we're extra sensitive. And we just, you know, this parent has to realize if his son is happy in a Aleph Yeshiva and he's doing well, the intensity might be triggering the parents in ways that there's not, it's not touching the child. The child, if you, if he asked his child that question, the child might be like, I don't know, that's the way they write it. You know, like, it's not, it's not even das. And I think it's important to realize we are triggered. We are triggered easily. 
And you know, those of us that have been that have been hurt or, or hurt by the system or hurt by people. And it's very, very important to know that that's not necessarily the case with um, with our children. And if it's not true with our children and they can handle it, it's not our job to to teach them to be triggered. That being the case, I have to tell you that for me, CD, and you know, I do wish we would we would focus a little bit more on on positive lashinas and and more empowering lashinas. You know, I think sometimes it's just it's not like our Messiah. It's not what we're used to. It's not. You know, but but and I think that we're going to see it as years go on. I think that the you're going to see the most yeshivas yeshivas writing, writing Waterbury letters. You're going to see it because because today's generation needs it, and the, we, we we would be mistaken, and it would be an avla if we made it sound like that the yeshivish yeshivas or the intense yeshivas don't understand chenuch. They understand it very very well. They're dealing with the, certain kinds of boys that can. That could deal with a certain chinuch, but I think they're listening, and I think that you're going to find. I wonder even now if we would compare their the letters now with the letters 25 years ago. I bet even now the letters got softer. You'll see the the softness is trickling down. You know that's that's what I think. But this parent that's triggered, hold on, be deal with your own pain. Don't put it on your child. Unbelievable. Okay, somebody wants to ask one more live question. I'm going to squeeze them in, Rabbi Sonnenschein. Is that okay? Sure. Okay, you're on. Okay, thank you so much. Um, my daughter is 13 years old, and we recently got her a smartphone um, because that was what we were told to do for her. So basically, we started with the approach of like really, really trusting her and you know, talking to her about it and, and having tons of conversations about it. And um, basically we were letting her, you know, have consequences to her decisions. Like if she stayed up too late, then she's going to miss out the next day. And like, do you want to go to school on time? And, but basically at this point, we feel like she's really a shell of herself and that it really took over and we have to have, you know, we have to put some boundaries into place um, we're having a hard time communicating this because at this point, she's saying things like, well, you're not letting me make these decisions because you're taking the decision away from me. And how can I make choices if you're not letting me make choices? And she feels like very controlled by the whole idea. Um, I just need help, like how to talk to her and empower her without making her feel like she's a child and that she, you know, like that type of thing. Yeah. That's yeah, this is this is a perfect example where that balance between parental authority and trusting and listening to the to our children needs needs to be balanced. It's not easy. I want to I want to share with you something that happened to me. Um it's something that I want to tell you something about one of my sons, then I know that he would give me just to say it because I've discussed this with him. Um it's a little vulnerable for me, but I think it's Kedai to answer your question. And that is that, you know, our son spent a, a many months with dealing with a very, very severe anxiety. And we had, to, we had to get help and we had to reach out and together we've all grown from it. My wife and I and him and the whole rest of the family, we grew and, and he's Baruch Hashem gives us so, so, so much nachas today. 
And, um, but it was a difficult Nisayan for him. And at the point that the anxiety started, so we let him have access, filtered access, but we let him have access to things to watch because it was the only thing that helped him feel calm. And after a while, it got more and more and more until we realized that the refuah was becoming worse than the machla. And the, the technology itself, and this is through people that were helping us, you know, you could give everyone in the world advice but when it comes to your own child, you need to sit down with someone that could give you advice. So, so um, you know, but we reached a point, my wife and I had countless conversations going through trying to figure out what to do and when do we give to him and when do we limit him? And it was very, very difficult. But at some point, the point came and And the reason that I'm saying this story, this vulnerable story is because of a term that you used. You said that you feel like she's a shell of herself. And that's something that brought back those memories to me. That, that shook me. And I wanna share with you what happened. At a certain point, we told him that he can't have it anymore. No more. That's it, we're done. It was a very hard decision. We tried to do it slowly and it didn't work. And he was, it was very, very, very painful for him. And here I am, Mr. Trust Your Children, Mr. Listen to Your Children. And I, and I had to, my wife and I, my wife is a little better at it than I am. I had to really put my foot down in order to save my son. And he was very upset and he was, he was, he was scared. And a few days later, I think it was maybe three days later, he walked into my study where I'm sitting right now. I was standing, he came in, he rested his head on my chest and he said, thank you for taking the iPad away from me. I feel alive for the first time in a long time. And we had a long journey since then. That was not the end of the journey. But I just want to tell you that if you feel like she's a shell of herself and something needs to be done, speak to her about it. We were very open with him when we made decisions. And that's that balance. We were talking. We were vulnerable. We were open. But ultimately, we were the parents. And if we felt like something was dangerous, we worked together with, with an objective person, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful therapist who helped us through it. And, and we were able to make those, those, those boundaries and, and we have our son back. And, and, and you know, so I, I'm not saying that your daughter is exactly in the same situation. I'm not saying that it's, you know, obviously, and it's the type of thing that you, I hope that you're speaking to people, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. And if you wanna be in touch with me afterwards, so then I think that uh, Usher is gonna help make that available, you know, how to be in touch. But, you know, so I'm, I'm not trying to, to just say this is what I did, so this is what you should do. But I do want to point out sometimes the technology could do that. And, and yeah, this is the balance. This is what we did tonight, is that did we talked about like... being open and trusting and trying. But also sometimes I have to say to my daughter, I know this is so hard for you. And I know that, you know, that you, you don't want me to make you feel like a child. But the, I see that you're hurting yourself here, and we have to try it this way. Did you did you replace it with something else like right away, or it was? I want to tell you something. We for that kufa, we let him do. We tried to. We 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 like we like we did anything possible. He wanted a paint. We bought him paint. He wanted it right now. He has hanging on his wall the largest and most fancy bow and arrow you have ever seen. 
Okay, he used to go into the backyard and shoot arrows. Okay, he still does sometimes. He became he he learned how to how to mix wax to make to make uh, uh, aromatic candles. He he whatever because he needed to do something. Whatever it was expensive for us, and he knew by the way he knew that there was like 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 no expense accounts. He knew that we were going to do that. We understood what he was going for, through, and and we were going to do that for him to help him do things productive things. I brought him to a bookstore at one point, and I said, let's find books that are appropriate for you. We bought out the store with books for him to read. At least it was better than watching a video, you know, and things like that. So, yeah, work with her. Work with how her. Did Ask he her what would be a good replacement. When you took it away, how did he react? Did he tell you that this is my lifeline? Like, is he, was he able to express that to you? Like, did he feel that way? You know what he said to me? I was trying to avoid that part of the story, but since you asked... He said to me, Tati, when I, when I kill myself, how are you going to explain to me yourself that you did that? And how did you respond to that? Um, well, part of it was a certain confidence that that's not what was going to happen, obviously. And that's something you have to do together with a therapist. That's not, uh, it's not a game, you know, obviously. But, um, but, you know, but my response to him was, I'm going to know that I made the decision, best decision for, for a boy that I love and I care for. And I'm going to always know that I made the decision out of love for you. Wow. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm sorry for this heavy conversation, but you, you triggered me when you said a shell. Okay. So, so that's no, I why I'm, it. I'm, Thank I'm you. sharing this with you. Yeah. That's very helpful. Okay. Let's go to the closing. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That was powerful. Okay, again, um, first of all, Grace Yashkoya for everyone for coming on tonight, giving tremendous chizik. What a powerful topic. I think we covered a lot. There's still a lot more to cover, but we definitely covered yeah. a lot. And Shem, hope us to have this chus again. Again, tonight's year is sponsored by Rabbi Yosef Sonnenshine's Wednesday night woman's year. Um, a lot of people texted me. I, I gave one person's number that's on the group. Rabbi Sonnenshine, is there any mahala how to join that Wednesday night woman's group? There's a there's a WhatsApp chat and there's an email list. So um should we just give it to Menachem and Menachem will send out the information? You want to do it that way? We could do that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Again, tonight's share is 149 if anyone wants to hear it later. Um and again, if you want to join the WhatsApp, you can WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066 and say my number every week. I'll send you the flyer for this on Sunday morning for the speaker. You can go to Coach Menachem's website, which is menachembernfall.com and sign up to get his weekly flyers with all the information and the replays. Again, for anybody who's here the first time, and for the people, Nebuch, that weren't here for the past four years, including the, the speaker tonight, Nebuch, that's finally joined. Um, every Sunday night at 9.30, this is my idea. We have different topics, different people, different Rabbanim, different therapists. Next week, I said, we have a very special program. Um, we have Dr. Akiva and Dr. Tamara Perlman, the husband and wife, tremendous you know, therapist in the firm world. Dr. Like Akiva is the train, trained hundreds and hundreds of firm therapists today that are therapists and their their topic, they're, they're choosing their, their number one topic they always talk about, living and loving vulnerably. A deep discussion on how to be authentic with yourself and others and your spouse. So it should be beneficial for everybody. Please join and let people know about it. It should be a very powerful program. Again, tonight, everything's recorded. It'll be on menachemberkel.com's website. If you have any questions, you can email coachmenachem at gmail.com. You hear the share, share 149 will be on the phone lines later tonight, tomorrow morning at 848-777-GROW. That's 848-777-GROW. Okay, Rabbi Sonnenshine, I'm going to go do this with you. If anybody wants to be in contact with Rabbi Sonnenshine, 
your email address? Should I give out? Or should I put up Menachem's email? You, you can give my email address. Okay, if anybody has any questions or anything for Rabbi Sonnenshine, his email address is yosefsonnenshine at gmail.com. I'm going to spell the letters Y-O-S-E-F Sonnenshine, S-O-N-N-E-N S-C-H-E-I-N at gmail.com. And anybody could email him anything and uh, hopefully uh, after we fill up his Gmail account with this, he'll get back to you within the next uh, 365 days. And again, thank you to all the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop for promoting us here in Lakewood, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central, Chayla Kalfin from JCN for promoting us on all the Jewish digital platforms. And I'm going to give a little closing to Menachem and then Rabbi Sonnenshine. We're going to hand it over to you. First of all, what a powerful shift tonight. Unbelievable, tremendous, tremendous chizik, practical advice, and it was a very difficult topic. It went a little bit in different mahalchem that we discussed a little bit beforehand, but Baruch Hashem, and um, I just want to say it was unbelievable. And I told Rabbi Sonashan specifically before the share not to prepare the closing, but it should do that closing after two plus hours of getting into the conversation, understanding what we do every Sunday night, and it should speak from the hearts. So I'm going to give him another two minutes to think. Now, now I can think what he should close with. I'm going to pass it over to Coach Menachem. Coach Menachem, wrap it up. Thank you so much. I want to thank Rabbi Sandershine. And yes, tonight was um, not an easy topic. Uh, vulnerable and uh, many people deal with the situation. And I believe um, everybody in this world, we're all on a journey. And, you know, sometimes it's easier, sometimes harder. Our kids teach us, we try to teach our kids, and uh, we find ourselves in situations where we we don't know what to do, and it's hard. And um, yeah, how much to be vulnerable to, to our kids, but, but one thing, the way I take it for tonight is that they need us, they need that connection, they're craving for it, and we have to learn how to be there for them, how to be there in a way that like we shouldn't be triggered, which is not easy because they'll start talking, you know, if you do open up and they open up about stuff that you're like, I can't believe they're bringing this up. And then you're, you're triggered and you think they don't see it and they don't feel it. And they, <laughs> they, they do. They know exactly what you're thinking and feeling. And that's maybe the reason why they don't want to share. But to be able to listen and be there with them in their struggles, with their struggles. And like we heard tonight, it's not like you can't generalize. Every situation is, you know, specific. And what's important to, to know that we all, you know, I think most of the time to get a third party, whether it's somebody for yourself to help you so you're not triggered and to help you on the journey. We don't have to do this all by ourselves. We can reach out, somebody that we can talk to. And it doesn't make a difference who it is. If it's somebody that's helping you, it makes it easier, makes it better, then go for it. Don't try to do it all by yourself. So thank you so much. And Hashem should help us all. Again, with uh, even those small steps that we need to make that connection, that open communication, to be able to listen to ourselves, to our kids. And with that, we can go to Mashiach. Okay, Rabbi Sonnenshine. Okay. Um, thank you. First of all, thank you for telling me not to prepare before. That's first of all. Um, it, it was an incredible, incredible experience to meet this group of people that are so focused on chinuch. And I, I just want to, if you tell me to share what's in my heart at the end of two hours, 
what's in my heart is that I want to say to every single parent that we're in this together. There's nobody that knows all the answers. There's not the people that know and the people that don't know. This is a difficult thing. You know, parenting is difficult. And and we're we're all in this together. Chinuch, you know, just to just to you know continue what, what Menachem just said. Chinuch is not just about being mechanicha with children, but maybe beikar. It's about being mechanicha ourselves, and it's an opportunity for us to grow into different kinds of people. We're different people after we spend time um, raising children, and just knowing that this group is here, that there are people here that are so focused, just listening to the questions, the live questions and the questions that that that, that you asked, but the the questions were just, the questions were just, uh, each one touched my heart because each person was a person that's trying to do this right and trying to take the neshamas that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us and bring them to where, to where they're supposed to be. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu should give all of us the Siyata Dishmaya to be able to connect with our children and to be able to lead every single one of them to the journey and to the tafke that HaKadosh Baruch Hu set out for them. Amen. Again, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody's texting me. It was Murder Kashir. When are you coming back again? We need more. Listen, I, I posted the link. Manachem will send it out. So Wednesday night, make sure we'll see you again. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.